Uh, If you have a Bible this morning, you can begin flipping to the New Testament book of Romans in chapter 12. Uh, Alana and I and Benji and uh, about half of the Boland family went down to the Dolphins-Eagles game last night uh, in Miami, and we had a bet that if the Eagles won, I would wear an Eagles jersey this morning. (laughs) I'm happy to report in a nail-biter, the Dolphins won 48-10, but nobody's counting, and it's preseason, so we'll see. Um, I want to do the same thing we did a a minute ago, but slightly differently. If you uh, serve in any of our eight different serve teams, not just the leaders, but if you serve in any of those teams, would you just stand for a second? And we want to uh, clap for you and thank the Lord for you. If you serve in any teams, thank you guys. We just want to say thank you to all of you for the ways that you all serve. Well done, all of you. You can be seated, and I'm grateful that many of you, as I look around and see the faces, I know that you don't serve on one team, you serve on two or three different teams, Uh, and we are grateful for the ways that you are using your gifts and talents uh, to bless our church and to glorify the Lord. Um, We're continuing this morning, week three now of five in our series, Five Marks of a Healthy Disciple uh, of Jesus Christ, and uh, if you're just now jumping in with us, uh, what we're doing is basically asking five questions that are reminding us uh, what it looks like to press into our relationship with Christ. So I want to look at these five questions again. Uh, in order we have taken them, when do I worship throughout the day and the week? Last week, where do I grow with others in biblical community? Uh, today, we will look at how am I serving and building up the church? Uh, next week, who in my life and in my city needs to be reached with the gospel? And then finally, what do my time, talent, and treasure reveal about my priorities. We're going to look to Romans in chapter 12, this letter of Paul, to, uh, to guide us and to illuminate what it means to love and serve others because Christ has loved and served us. So let's read now God's word. Uh, I'm going to read verses 1 through 13 of Romans 12 this morning. God's word says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members... And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let's pray together and ask his blessing on his word. 
Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is perfect and without error. And we thank you that the message of salvation and hope and new life, forgiveness, grace, and mercy is contained within it. Our hope is utterly and completely in you. And outside of you, we have no hope. And so for that, Lord, we rejoice and we simultaneously draw near to you once again. Show us out of your love how to love one another. We pray this morning in Jesus' name, amen. Three ways from this text that we're going to see that we are invited and commanded to engage serving one another in the church. The first of these we see in verses one and two in particular, we must have a mercy relationship with God. This is the Bible's word here. We must have a mercy relationship with God. See, the reality that that Paul wants to make sure that we get before we talk about what we should do is how we came to have a relationship with God in the first place. And the reality is that we only can come to and know God and have a relationship with him through his extravagant kindness and mercy. Uh, If we begin with the other and we think, what is it that I ought to do for God? We will inevitably misunderstand the bigger reality here that everything begins with his kindness to us. This is abundantly clear to us because the world, if you engage with those who do not know Christ, you will see very clearly that the world does not comprehend what your motivation is as a Christian, uh, as a Christ follower. Oftentimes, if you engage with someone who doesn't know Christ yet, they will assume or they will describe things that, that, that they think that what we are trying to do when we do good stuff is that we are trying to earn God's favor, that there is some sort of cosmic brownie point system that we are trying to earn. Um, they will think that we do good things to sort of stay out of trouble with God and make sure that he's watching the other troublemakers. Or oftentimes we have this mentality that if my, if my good deeds sort of outweigh my bad deeds, then I can keep God off of my back. Um, but the motivation to follow Jesus is none of those things. None of those things work. The motivation to follow Jesus is simply his mercy towards us, his grace towards us, his unmerited kindness, unearned favor towards us. See, because here's the reality. My good does not outweigh my bad, right? If we, uh, if we did that measurement test for any one of us, none of us can say that my good outweighs my bad. Far from it. Mercy that we need is not getting the justice that, that we deserve for our sin. Grace is getting the free gift of God's kindness that we have not earned and do not deserve, and God gives us both. Consider John Newton. Maybe you've heard of John Newton. John Newton was born in 1725. Uh, He says of himself that he was a sailor living in debauchery, wickedness, and irreligion. Uh, His primary career was as captain of an African slave trading vessel. And so his job was to go into the African continent, buy human beings, stuff them into the bottom of a ship, move them over to the colonies. Many would not survive the trip, we know, and then sell human beings. That was his job. Um, Yet, this is the very same man who later on in life would join with William Wilberforce in England and be instrumental in the ending of slavery in the British Empire. This is the very same man who later on in life was a pastor of a church in England for 43 years. Well, what motivated 
the transformation that took place in his life? Well, he uh, wrote a song about it. Maybe you've heard it. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. That's his story. That's his testimony played out in an easily the most well-known worship song of all time in the English language. Newton's final will and testament, he wrote these words just before his passing. I commit my soul to my gracious God and Savior who mercifully spared and preserved me when I was an apostate, a blasphemer, and an infidel and delivered me from the state of misery on the coast of Africa into which my obstinate wickedness had plunged me and who has been pleased to admit me, though most unworthy, to preach his glorious gospel. See, the mercies of God save you and they transform you. Jesus himself tells us that his sacrificial death calls us and invites us into what Paul here uses the language of as a living sacrifice. Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will gain it. There's a paradox here. Die to self in order to experience real life. Why? How? Well, because God has redeemed us from sin's penalty by the death of Jesus. God has, Jesus has freed us from sin's tyranny by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus gave himself to us. And so he invites us then in response out of gratefulness and thankfulness and not to earn our salvation that we say, Lord Jesus, my life is yours. I want to be used by you. Paul uses a particular language here where he says, your response to this amazing grace, this incredible mercy is your spiritual worship. Spiritual worship here in Romans chapter 12 uh, can also be translated and is often translated in other English translations, reasonable service. Spiritual worship, reasonable service. The Greek is latreia logikos. And these Greek words really encompass sort of both translations. And, and what Paul is saying is that it is logical, it is reasonable, it makes sense that we would respond to God's amazing mercy and grace with a life of worship. That because Jesus has served us abundantly, that in some small way we desire to respond in serving others the way that we ourselves have been served. See, we've been transformed, the Bible says, by radical grace, his grace alone, and he has invited us to be a part of now seeing that same radical grace change families and cities, nations, and our world. And he ends by saying here in these first two verses, don't let the, the shifting, the, the corrupting messages of the world define who you are and what you do, but rather let the unchanging, the perfect, the merciful, hope-filled, blood-stained goodness of the gospel define who you are, what you say, where you go, and what you do. First, we must have an experience of a real mercy relationship with God, says the scripture. Number two, number two, we, we move here. Paul moves us in his thinking. Number two, we must have a humble relationship with ourselves. We see this in verses three through eight, and this may sound like an odd statement to some degree, but 
We must have a humble relationship with ourselves. Listen to verse 3 again. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Who am I in Christ is the question that we should ask and answer from this text, particularly as it relates to me serving others within the church this morning. Now, there are inevitably two ways that we can mess this up. Uh, The first way that we can mess this up is by thinking, I am too good to serve, uh, or I am too good for those other people. And this can come out of the same sort of, it's just Jesus and me mentality that pervades our culture that we talked about last week. Um, It can also have this sort of a mentality. I am here for what the church can do for me. I am here for what you people uh, can do for me without any thought of uh, what can I do for others, right? JFK famously said, ask not what you can do for your church. Is it the other way around? You know what I was going to say. And JFK didn't talk about the church, right? He talked about the country. Ask not what you can do for your country. No, I'm going to get this. I'm going to get this. We're going to pause the service so I get this right. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I'm sure he meant church, though. It was a slip of the tongue for him. Listen to what, uh, what Paul says in another letter in 1 Corinthians 3. He's going to give us this reality that, that when we experience this gospel humility, it enables us to get outside of our, our own agenda, our own plans, and get into God's mission and be a part of what he is doing. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3 says this, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed. As the Lord assigned to each, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. The first way we we mess this up is by thinking too highly of ourselves. But the second way that many of us struggle with is we think too lowly of ourselves. We think too badly of ourselves. We think, I'm too bad. I'm too messed up. I'm too weak. I'm not good at that, and so I shouldn't do it. And let me just challenge you with this idea and encourage you, don't worry about what your particular weaknesses, struggles, or even failures have been in the past or are in the present. Romans 8 tells us clearly that God is using even those things for your good and for his glory. Uh, My good friend and pastor Mike Aitchison, who pastors in Orlando, uh, gave a challenge to all of the new pastoral interns this week at Presbytery, uh, who here in this area will one day be pastors. And he pointed them to one particular verse, and he gave them this idea that in order to be a, a good pastor, the reality is that you must pastor in weakness rather than in your strength, or or in your weakness by his strength. Now, Mike is a big dude. Mike played offensive line for the University of Kentucky, and he gave them this illustration that uh, in football, there's a thing called a screenplay, and that for the offensive linemen in particular, who are known for their strength, their size, their power, that in a screenplay, what you must do is actually yield to weakness, For success to take place, you have to show yourself weak and allow the defense to actually come through so that a few seconds down the road as the play develops, that by your coming together, that there is actually a much greater strength and an effectiveness as you move the ball 
down the field. The biblical reality that he was giving us is something that Paul gives us in Romans 12 as well. I'm sorry, in in 2 Corinthians 12. Jesus, he, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So here is the reality that that we ought to wake up every morning and remember. I am created lovingly by the God of the universe. I have been saved gracefully by Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And I am filled daily and continually with the Holy Spirit of God. And I have been made a part of his family called into his mission, right? The reality of who we are changes everything, a humility that's wrapped around the grace and the kindness and the love of God, which is why he then gives us the application here when he says we are members of one body, the body of Christ. Verses four and five of our text. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. This is one of the places where we get this idea and the language that we are the hands of Jesus. We are the feet of Jesus. We are the fingers and the toes, that we are the members of his body. And so there's this biological image that's being given to us to portray a magnificent and beautiful spiritual reality. And that is that you and I in Christ By his grace, if you have received him by faith, you are a member of the church. You are a member of the body of Christ. When we use this language, in fact, of church membership, what we are saying is when you become a a church member as a believer, you are publicly declaring that I have a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son, powered by the Holy Spirit, and and that I have a relationship with the body of Christ specifically here locally in this congregation. Are we better than any other congregation around the nation? No, certainly not. Around the world? No, certainly not. We are members both of the universal, the worldwide church of God, and we have been called specifically to this church, to this city, to be used by God to employ our gifts and talents given by him to serve him. Ephesians 4 says it this way. It says we are one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God over all and in all. So he takes that application and moves it to the next logical reality. He says, so use your gifts to serve the body of Christ. Verses 6 through 8, he gives us very specific, tangible applications Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. There are five times in the New Testament that we get one of these lists of spiritual gifts Uh, among the believers. 
If we look at all five together, you get 19 different distinct spiritual gifts, though none of them state that they are exhaustive lists. There are other spiritual gifts that are not specifically listed in those five lists. But you see the importance that it keeps coming back to in the scripture, that you are called, invited, commanded to use your spiritual gifts. It is clear from scripture that every single believer has at least one spiritual gift, Uh, There is no such thing as a believer who has been filled with the Holy Spirit that doesn't have some gift that God has not given to you to serve and to love his people with. Well, how do I figure out if I'm not sure what my spiritual gift or gifts may be? Try them out. Step into the church and begin to use what you think may be your areas of passion or calling and try them out. Will you fail at times? I'm sure. Is there space for that? Absolutely. But how do we learn what God has called us to do without stepping in and doing it? I I use the language all the time of our church plant that we are both building the plane and flying it simultaneously. I think that is the reality for us as believers in many ways uh, as well. The, The Greek language behind this, when it says gifts or spiritual gifts, the Greek word there is charismata, charismata. Uh, And it is translated in English, gifts. Charismata, the, the root behind that, if we go Greek again one more time, is charis. Charis is the first end of charismata. Charis is the Greek word that means grace. When we use spiritual gifts, when we receive spiritual gifts from the Lord, when we employ them, it is a grace gift from God put into you so that you might extend in one form or fashion or another the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to those around us. So we must secondly have a a humble understanding of who we are that is wrapped around the identity given to us by God's grace. Third and finally, Paul teaches his people and teaches us today. Number three, we, we must have a love relationship with our church family. We must have a love relationship with our church family. Again, the infallible, inerrant word of God says in verse 9 through 13, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. In many translations into the English, abhor is the word hate. Let love be genuine. Hate or abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Let love be genuine or sincere is the way it is often translated. Uh, To to digress to the word sincere for just a second, this is a helpful word to us as well. Sincere comes from two Latin words, sine, sera, sine and and sera, uh, which of course means without wax without wax. Wow, pastor, thanks for mining the depths of English and Latin for us there. Without wax. What on earth does without wax have to do with let your love be genuine? In the ancient world, pottery uh, was cheap, and you had to sell junky pottery to, to make your way through. And the way that you would hide the cracks that were in your pottery was with wax, and you would press wax into all the cracks so that you could pretend like you had a really nice pot when in fact 
you were selling people junk. And the Bible here is saying, do not sell junk. Let it be without wax. The next Greek word is actually where we get the word hypocrisy. Let it be without hypocrisy. That there is a genuineness. I am not here to love you for what I can get out of it. We've seen that before, right? I present myself as loving, but the truth is, is my agenda is actually for me and what I can get out of it. Let love be genuine. Let it be others-centered. Let it be sincere. Let it be honest. Real love is the idea. And let it be brotherly. Let it be family love. Uh, There is a reason that we perpetually say uh, that our church, this church, and the church worldwide is a family. We are children of God. By his grace alone, we have been adopted into our family. Our, Our sin separated us from God, and in his kindness, he has adopted us permanently into his family. He esteems us deeply, and we are a part now of the family of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we can love one another in Christ. This applies to a believer that we maybe haven't even met yet, who's halfway around the world, and this applies to the believers who sit right here in this room with us this morning. This reality is true whether that other believer has made mistakes, failures, and struggles or not, because we know inevitably all of us have made those sort of mistakes, and if Christ has loved us, we can love one another as well. First John drives this reality home in such a powerful way. First John 4 says this, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation, the payment for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Because he has first loved us, because he has first reached out to us, because he has initiated in love when we didn't want it or deserve it, the message of the gospel is cry out today and ask him to be your savior. If you've never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to give you a new life, then know that he has already done what you could not do. He has already sent Jesus to the cross for you. And all you must do is respond in faith and say, I believe you, Lord Jesus, and I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. And if you are a believer this morning, the reality is this, because Jesus has first loved you, because Jesus has first served you in response and thankfulness, we say, I want to love and serve him. And the way that I will do that is I will love and serve one another. Um, It can be, if you've been hung around church very much, it can be notoriously hard to get people to volunteer and serve, for example, in the kids' ministry, uh, in the nursery. Inevitably, usually a little bit harder to get them to volunteer and serve in youth ministry, for example. Now, we have many ways that we serve. This one is not more or less important than many of the others. But just to illustrate to you, when I think about our kids team, City Kids, Tyler Town, Neighbor Nursery, when I think about our youth team and the way that they serve, what is the reason that those who serve, serve? Or what is the reasons that we are called to serve? And I want to give you a couple of them. Asher, Hudson, Isaiah, Brooklyn, Jameson, Kennedy, Kiara, Layla, Zariah. Dalton, Demi, Haley, Mia, Jill, Addison, Noah, Tower, Oliver, 
Jacob, Kinsley, Cameron, Kyra, Zoe, Caitlin, Luke, Aaron, Benji, Lola, Evangeline, Austin, Hattie, Hazel, Hannah, Bentley, Alice, Corey, Syria, Xander, Natalie, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Gabriel, Gideon, Moses, Mercy, Harmony, Melody, Abby, Harper, Sawyer, Sadie, Kira, Julie, Evan, Lydia, Sarah Grace, Harrison, Eliza, Noah, Michaela, Coral, Lincoln, Abby, Gavin, Craig, Bryce, Jamie, and Sarah Lena. That's the reasons that we serve. I love your kids. I know that you love our kids. I know that you love every single other person in this church. It's not just the kids. We need to love and serve every single one of us. We need to be all in. We need to show up. We need to be in one another's lives. And we honor one another by doing so, by approaching other people as better than ourselves because Jesus has so loved us, I can love them. So whether you come early and you turn our high school uh, into a house of worship, or whether you come early and you pray and seek God's face, whether you lead one of our city groups or a Bible study, or you teach our kids, whether you welcome new guests as they walk in from the parking lot into this room, whether you're running the mic that I'm talking on at this very moment, whether you lead our church in worship or you serve in evangelism or outreach or the countless behind the scenes things that are happening every day, we need you. Uh, We love you and thank you. And if you have not had the experience of jumping into serving, let today be a new day where you say, Lord, I'm not good at it, but you are great at it. I want to be used by you. The Bible says, by the mercies of God, let us present our bodies as a living sacrifice. By the grace of God, let us not think of ourselves more highly than we ought. And having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Amen? Let's pray together.